happy first day of fall, and welcome to Most Excellent, the podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Gina. And I am your better co-host, Danielle. Don't take my lines. How does it feel? How does and it feel? I feel no. like I just went home, and I feel... Me after work every day. Anyways, um, welcome to Most Excellent, the podcast, your paranormal, true crime, all three... Authoring Strange and Peculiar Comedy Podcast. Mm-hmm. We are coming to you live from my bedroom floor, where we are eating a smorgasbord of candy corn, gummy worms, worms jo- Jolly Ranchers, not Jolly Ranchers. Jolly Ranchers? I can't even think straight. The Jolly Roger. The Jolly Roger. Little gummies that, have, that are in the shape of witch brooms, pumpkins, mm-hmm. and cats, and jelly beans. That are black licorice and orange flavored. Mm-hmm. We'll post a picture later in case y'all are feeling some FOMO. Buy the fucking Graveyard Smash from Target. I rate this 10 out of 10. Would recommend. Would recommend a Graveyard Smash mm-hmm. of all this. You know what? And I was telling Danielle, I was like, I'm not a big candy corn person, but I have to eat a few pieces every year just to see if I actually like it again or if like my taste buds grew up. And they don't. And it's like, okay, I'm not a candy corn hater. But I'm not a candy corn lover. If I roll my eyes any harder, my fucking contacts gonna get stuck in the back of my head. You say that every time. I don't know how people do not like candy corn. It's so good. It's just a nice little, you know? No, we're not doing that. Okay. But like I said, it is the first day of fall. Mm-hmm. And it is almost October. And it is time for the spooky season. And just a little uh, witchy reminder from both of us, you know, us two witches. So, September 23rd, the first day of fall, is also the start of the Wiccan or Pagan season called, I pronounce it Maban, but I don't know if it's also pronounced Maban. Someone correct me because, you know, that's how it is. But it's, it's you know, basically just the Wiccan version of fall, the mm-hmm. official start. And this is a good time to, if you want to kind of get into that witchy aesthetic, and even if you're not into Wicca or whatever, just like your own personal affirmations or things that you want to do, it's a good time to bring balance back into your life because Mm -hmm. this is the time where it's going to be getting darker out, you know, the weather is going to be changing, it's a lot, it's a time of like more reflecting. So this is a time like when that darkness comes to get rid of any unwanted energies or anything toxic in your life so good crust like good crystal recommendations for this are some black tourmaline i love some tourmaline tourmaline some black tourmaline um smoky quartz is absolutely perfect for just getting rid of negative energy yes kind of just cleansing unwanted like like stagnant energy it's good for getting rid of stagnant energy it's good for kind of ridding i use it for my headaches which i don't know the thing is, she I, gets really bad. Migraines. I get really bad migraines, and so I just put a piece of like cold, flat, smoky quartz on my head, and it mm-hmm. helps me a lot. And it could be fucking placebo, who knows? Right. But but it's like it's still nice. But it works to have. Yeah, it's a good time. So those are the two crystal recommendations I would give for this season and for bringing in kind of positive energy, just clear quartz that yes. you program. And if you ever you're sitting there, and like here's the thing, we're not doctors. Mm-hmm. Do not use this in place of medication yes. or in place of actual things. Take your that meds, you need. guys. Please, take your meds. We both take our meds yes. all the time, every day. 
and you should all too. All day, every day. Take your brush it's control. It's med time. That too. <laughs> Take your brush Same. control too. Um, but yeah, like sometimes like the thing that I do like with my crystals is sometimes I'll just like rub them along like my aura, mm-hmm. like along like your arms or your legs, and just kind of, like along the palm of your hands, just your to kind of get that your temples, just to kind of get that energy from the day out. You know, you're going to work, you're talking to people. Some of their negative, kind of toxic energy sometimes rubs off on you and makes you feel shitty. Or, like, if you're an empath, like, Danielle and I are, like, we get overwhelmed very easily by other people and their energy. So it's good to just kind of meditate with them, relax, lay down, maybe put it on your head, just hold it, whatever you want to do. Um, And now is a good time to do that Mm -hmm. because tis the season. Oh, also, my favorite thing with the season is now is a good time to work with spirit and to visit your dead ancestors and ask for advice. Mm-hmm. This doesn't mean using a Ouija board yeah. necessarily. We don't do that. Um, if you want to. If you want, you know, whatever. But we, we like, talk out loud to people who are close to us who have passed away. And this to do this, you don't need to visit people in a cemetery. Mm-hmm. Like, you can. Like, no problem with that whatsoever. We also do that. But with us, like, we like to ask for signs from mm-hmm. people who have passed. So, like, personally, like, with me, like, with my grandpa, my sign for him is yellow roses and monarch butterflies. So when I see those, like, you know, sometimes I'm feeling sad, and I'll say, you know, hey, grandpa, you know, you know, can you send me something, you know, that shows me that you're there, reminds mm-hmm. me of you, and, you know, I'll, I'll see a butterfly or, you know, something like that. And people are like, oh, well, there's butterflies everywhere. There's roses everywhere. It's like, yeah, but you know what? Like, that means something to mm-hmm. me. And if it makes you feel better, you know, and those, like, whatever you believe in, like, they're always listening. Mm-hmm. Like, they're always there. You can always use them for guidance. And this is just a time of, like, remembering and having mm-hmm. good memories from, like, what you had instead of it being, like, you know, this distant person who you're never going to see again. And this is the time of year when, I mean, when it comes to Samhain, I, or I like to pronounce it Samhain. I know that's Sam not how you say it, but I like saying Samhain just for fun. Good old Samhain. Or Halloween. And it's that day, time where, you know, the realm of spirits crosses over with us more. The veil is very thin. And they can connect with us more. Um, so definitely, you know, if you... I know a lot of people do Day of the Dead where they yeah. make a little altar of pictures, which I want to do really bad because mm-hmm. Danielle and I recently lost... Uh, two people very close to us mm-hmm. on both sides of our family. So it's just something nice to do to just remember. And then also um, the last thing I have here is to perform a ritual for gratitude. Mm-hmm. Now when it says ritual, you don't have to perform like a whole spell. You can yep. literally just like sit down for a minute, close your eyes, and just maybe say out loud the things you're thankful for. What we do sometimes is make a list of affirmations and yep. say, okay, this is what I'm thankful for. This is what I would like to bring into my mm-hmm. life at the same because this is the time of harvest. We got pumpkins. We got gourds. We got pumpkin spice lattes. And we got lattes. We got everything. And it's, you know, that time of being thankful and, you know, having, you know, bountiful things come into your life. So those are just some little Halloween-y, uh, fall, you. spooky, Maybon things to Maybon, whatever it is, to um, be aware of. Yeah. Um, yeah, we just thought we'd mention that because we both, well, I practice, I'm a mix of everything. I practice Wicca, but I'm also very spiritual. Like, mm. I believe in God. I think Jesus is cool, but I also believe in deities and fairies and mm-hmm. spirits. And I do little rituals myself sometimes. I work with herbs and crystals. So 
just a reminder, I feel like I've been talking so much. <laughs> I'm, like, out of breath. But just, like, a reminder, like, you don't have to have one thing. Like, no. it's totally fine mm-hmm. to have a religion that you follow, like... Or no know, religion. Or no religion. It doesn't matter. But as long as you think something's cool and it's not hurting anyone and... You know, it's something that helps you. Like, I know Wicca, working with that with me, helps my anxiety a lot. And just, like, you know, lighting candles. And it's just, it's it's very relaxing. So, even if you're not, you know, into all of that, like, it's not scary witchcraft. Like, it's honestly just, like, little self-rituals that you can do to pay respect and thanks to the season of fall. Mm-hmm. Because I think working with nature and working with that is very important because nature is a very powerful force in this world and something that needs to be taken care of and respected. Mm-hmm. So that's my take on the fall season and things of that nature. So, and we'll, we're going to do that more. Yeah, we'll do week. like either, we'll, we'll see how people respond to it in terms of like if the, this goes at the end of the episode or the beginning. So people like, so people, if, if people aren't into this exactly, like let us know guys. Let us know right. on Twitter. Or if you want to hear more about it, because like want to we, hear more about it, yeah. we, we could do mini soaps yes. of stuff like this. But we I like just, crystals. Yeah. We do. We work with crystals, tarot, tarot cards, cards, you know. And we want to talk more about that. And if you guys want any recommendations, like you know, we don't know everything, mm-hmm. but with what experience we have, like we'll give that to you. So yeah. just let us know um, in the reviews on Twitter, on Facebook, whatever, on Instagram. Yes, our Instagram. Just a reminder, follow us. Follow Most great. excellent on Instagram. Um, okay. Well, now that it's, it's fall time, it's spooky time, shall we get started? Oh, yeah. So, because it's back to school season. <laughs> I figured <laughs> I would do that. what we're starting with. Because it's back to school season, I decided to do something back to school related. So, I did hazing related deaths, and I did fraternities. Mm-hmm. Because... I was having conversations with my friend, and she was talking about, like, sorority culture and, like, all of this stuff, and she was in a sorority herself, so we were just talking about it, and I was like, uh-huh, when I was just listening to these stories. I was like, <laughs> That's oh, what you did. okay, all right. So I was just listening to her talk about certain things, and it got me really interested, and I was like, hmm, who has died while doing crazy, like, crazy fucking fraternity yeah. stuff? and that's so sad. And by the way, when oh. we're doing this, like, you know, no you know, disrespect to the victim's yeah. families, like, adult, like, I just, and then, you, I know, I've, like, talked so much already, but I saw a tweet earlier this week that wasn't, it wasn't meant to be, like, rude or anything, mm-hmm. but it was saying, kind of, like, making fun of, like, true crime podcasts and stuff, saying, like, oh, you know, laughing at the expense of a victim to, like, you know, put out, you know, like, your meat on these advertisement or something, and it's, like, yes, not all podcasts go about it the way you know, mm-hmm. that it's supposed to be brought up. You know, it's a very sensitive subject that we have to be aware of, and that's why Danielle and I do trigger warnings. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, we're, we're very sensitive to the families of these murders. And, like, the comedy aspect of our podcast is the way we talk about things mm-hmm. and the, we, the way we cope with these traumatic experiences and just the way we talk to each other, what comes up in our research. Yeah. Us talking about these things are no way making fun of the victims mm-hmm. or the victims' families. Like, that is I, incomprehensible to me. Yeah, like, that's you don't take it... And the thing is, too, when I was doing this research, I was very aware of the fact that this is a very sensitive subject, and this is a subject that has... It's, it's a tough subject to talk about because I think that in this country, there's a lot of 
there's a lot of hazing that goes on. There's a lot of that, and it's normalized into university culture mm-hmm. as, you know, a lot of the universities just turn a blind eye to this. And, and it happens, and it. no one talks about it. It happens, and no one talks about it, and no one gets prosecuted for it. And these stories, you know, what stuck out to me while I was doing research for this was how many parents are affected by this. And just hear, like, literally it brings you to tears to hear mothers talk about the fact that, like, I drove my son... She was this mom. One of the moms was talking about she drove her son, like she drove she drove both of her sons to university in the mm-hmm. fall, and she was like, "I'm only bringing one of them back with me because of a stupid college ritual." That breaks my fucking heart. It's it's bad. Like it's yeah. horrific to talk about, but it's something that's not talked about mm-hmm. enough because everyone's just like, "Oh, it never gets too serious." But literally looking at these stories, I was like, no, this happens all of the time. Mm-hmm. Nobody talks about it. Nobody gets prosecuted. No one takes it seriously. And going into the fall season when everyone is going back to college, like, I completely understand that people join fraternities and sororities as community service work for all the, like, and I'm not saying all oh, those, yeah. they, they, And some people nothing. take it as, like, it's a family. It's you a know? family, Because, like, yeah. maybe a lot of them don't have connections, close connections to their families that a lot of people do home. have. Yeah. And it's like, hey, it's these group of people who I get along with, and, like, they're calling me brother or sister, yeah. and it's, like, it's a sense of home. Mm-hmm. Which is good. Yeah. And that's all fine and dandy. But when it gets into this kind of stuff is when... It gets bad. It you start to worry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just hear so many things every year. I don't yeah. think a year's gone by where there hasn't been multiple... Oh, but wait, I have a statistic on that. Yeah. Because that's what I was starting it off with. Because literally, I went, and my main source was this database this guy did. He does a whole database of hazing deaths. Mm-hmm. And it's... So, my statistic is that one hazing death has occurred every single year with the exception of 1958 from the years 1953 to 2009. Or 2019, Holy I mean. Holy shit. One hazing death every single year. Yeah. Since 1953. Like, that's fucking ridiculous that's Mm -hmm. absolutely fucking ridiculous and i'm not saying that i don't want this to come off as me being like fuck fraternities absolutely not these fifi foam foam ass bitches no these fifi foam ass bitches (laughs) these fifi foam foam ass bitches no i think that sororities and fraternities for the most part do great things they do a lot of community service it helps Mm. people it gives you a sense of belonging and family and like that's great but I think it gets taken too far, and they take advantage of the fact that there are a lot of kids who want to go into these places mm-hmm. to and they be, be accepted, to be accepted, and to belong. And you are going through this hazing ritual, and then you're betrayed, mm-hmm. and you end up losing your life over something fucking stupid. Yeah. And so, before I wanted to start this out, I wanted to start off by saying that a lot of these, what I was looking at, there's a lot of victim blaming. There is a mm-hmm. lot of victim blaming about alcohol. And yeah. what I want to say before this is like, yes. Alcohol influences these deaths, like, 100%, like, that had something to do with it. But the thing that's important is that, yes, alcohol just play, play a role in a lot of these deaths. A lot of these deaths are accidental as a result of heavy alcohol consumption. But the thing is, that doesn't mean that these people deserve to die and be taken advantage of or that it's their fault. No. Because there's, there's a lot of that where a lot of the articles you're reading are like, mm-hmm, well, he was intoxicated and he got it. And it's like, that's still not... That doesn't, that that doesn't, doesn't make it any die. less sad. That doesn't yeah. make... That's no reason that you... Also, yeah. everyone drinks in college. Yep. So don't be all high and mighty and mm-hmm. be like, oh, well, this and this. Because, you know, you've probably not like you but like people have probably been in like a spot where they've had too much to drink Mm -hmm. and if they didn't have a friend there or they weren't responsible something would have happened so you know don't just blame people easily when you've been in the same position Mm -hmm. and something could have Mm -hmm. happened similar that's all these colleges like basically do when these people get caught they're like well kids drink and your child was careless and it's just like okay 
Okay, then. All right. I guess just dismiss it. Yes, like, thanks. Thanks for Thank the so compassion. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Okay, so I'm going to start this off. Yes. So I went back, like, to the 1800s. Oh. That's how far wow. we're going. I didn't even know that was, like, a thing. Oh, yes, my friend. Don't you worry. <laughs> so we're going to start with once so this fraternity had three deaths associated with it across like different states and different universities. This is the Hellfire Club? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> ben Ben Franklin is there. I knew it. He's getting fondled. He's having a good time. Okay? Oh, okay. So this uh, this fraternity is called Delta Kappa, Delta Kappa Epsilon. Okay. Okay. So the first death we're going to talk about is Wilkins Ruskins. Wilkins Ruskins. Wilkins Ruskins. Oh my. So he died in 1892 and he went to Yale University. So while he's pledging Delta Delta Kappa Epsilon, part of the pledging ritual is to be blindfolded, and they were told to run towards this local restaurant blindfolded. Okay? They had restaurants in the 1800s. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) I, like, forget that things exist. He was, like, running off to fucking Jewel Lasco to get his soda pop, and he (laughs) veers off of the path, and he basically runs into this, like, sharp pole attached to a carriage. So, I was under the impression, I was like, oh, shit, he got impaled. No. So, he just hits himself in the stomach so hard that he basically is just in agony, and he has to be carried back to his room after this. Okay? Okay. So, the next morning, he dies of periotinitis, which is what they think Edgar Allan Poe died of, referencing last week. That's one of the things they think he might have died of, which basically is that he hit himself in the stomach so hard, the tissue covering his abdomen and organs, it basically got damaged and inflamed, and you basically die of this infection, and it kind of makes your organs rupture, if I'm I'm (gasps) understanding that right, but he hits himself so hard in this ritual, like, he essentially just causes his organs to rupture, and he dies the next morning. Okay, so that's in 1892. Mm-hmm. So now, also pledging De- Delta Kappa Epsilon is Stuart Pearson in 1905 at Kenyon College. Okay. So he's 18 years old. And on October 28th of 1905, Stuart had been... So, backtrack. Back yeah. So Stuart had been up all night, basically. And so his dad was saying that they had been up all night. And so his son hadn't got much sleep the night before. So... He is either escorted or sent out to guard these train tracks as part of a pledge ritual, which I don't really understand this. Um. So they either escorted him out there or he was sent out there to these train tracks. And so he's allegedly operating on no sleep at this point, according to his Mm -hmm. dad. So he's like, he hasn't slept all night before. He's, you know, he's sleepy. He's tired. He goes to guard these train tracks as part of a a ritual. So this is important because one of two things happen next. So he either falls asleep on the track or is tied to the train tracks by his fraternity brothers. Pierce? Oh, no. Okay, so there's two scenarios. The first one is that he was sent to guard the tracks and he falls asleep. And he was so startled by the train that he stumbles onto the tracks when an unscheduled train comes by. Mm-hmm. Okay? So this is what his dad believes happened. His dad was, I think his dad was a legacy. From okay. what I understand. So his dad was a legacy there, so he wanted his son to be in his fraternity, and he was like, that's what happened. They didn't tie him to train tracks. He fell asleep, and he got scared. Right, but and, it's like, you don't know. But then, our second scenario yeah. is this, is that his frat brothers tied him to the track, and this evidence is supported by the fact that during a coroner's in- inquest, an examination of the scene reveals that a basket was found with chloroform and rope, amongst other things, and his frat brother, when they asked him about it, he basically says that it was just like a bluff or like a scare tactic. 
Uh-huh. But why is it found at the yeah, scene? Yeah, why is it there in the first place? So there's evidence that he was bound to the track, and a detective confirms that there are marks and bruises on his wrists and his ankles that basically the detective was saying he looks like he was tied to the track. Yeah. Okay? And so it's unclear which of these scenarios happened, whether he fell asleep or whether they tied him to the track. I think they tied him. I think they tied I'm going to say that. I think they tied him. But for sure... What we do know is that at 10 o'clock at night, Stuart is found by his frat brothers after having been hit by a train. Mm-hmm. So his watch was stopped at 9.41, so they got there about 20 minutes later, and the train conductor didn't even realize that they hit him oh until God. they actually went and made a stop and they found yeah. blood and imagine and how horrible that conductor feels. Yeah. And they didn't know because they found blood and clothes on the wheels, and they were like, what the hell happened? Yeah. And then they kind of figured it out. Oh, my God. And so his frat brothers are real quick about it. They move him to the president of the university's house. So President Pierce, they take they take the body to his house. Mm-hmm. And so he delays calling the police, and he instead calls a doctor instead of a coroner, which he's clearly dead. He yeah. just got hit by a fucking train. He's dead. Okay. Can you imagine just moving your dead friend to the president of the university's office? Mm-hmm. And so his actions basically sparked this whole big debate in the media because they're, like, hella suspicious that you just wanted his body out of the way, and they think that he's trying to basically do a cover-up and be like, oh, it's just an accident, it has nothing to do with the fraternity. Like, he's trying yeah. to shut it up really quick. And so he waits, he waits like, hours to call the police to report this. Mm-hmm. Okay? So they're all just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're like, let me peep Hello? that. Yeah. So the media is basically going back and forth, and they're trying to figure out what happened. They're just like, oh, okay, really suspicious that your ass is sitting here and trying to cover this up and taking this body to your house, right. and you don't call the police. Because that's what you do. You take your dead friend to a yeah. house instead of, you know, helping. Mm-hmm. So he basically rails back at them, and he says that, like, all of the things that they're saying are false, and that he tried to get the body out, and, like, all of this stuff, and he's trying to basically make it seem like it was just this accident, okay? Mm-hmm. So the father doesn't believe he was tied to the tracks, but he is a legacy of this, and I don't think that he wanted to believe that this actually happened, that they did this to him, so his dad doesn't believe that's what happened. Mm-hmm. But to this day, they're not really sure what happened, so it was either that they tied him or they didn't. It's kind of unclear. Like, yeah. the coroner was like, oh, I found these marks and all this stuff, but they're really not sure what happened. Mm-hmm. So either way, he died doing a, a ritual for this fraternity. Okay? So basically, the president of the university, you're not going to really get a clear on- answer about it because he tried to basically, re- like, protect the f- reputation of his college. Yeah. And he basically was doing anything and everything to cover that up. But even then, when the word got out, it was over. So, yeah. it's like, you might as well just tell the fucking truth. Because right. the college already was damaged at that point, And there was mm-hmm. no taking it and back. And then it's not the university's fault. It's these kids mm-hmm. who hold them took advantage of someone. Yeah. Hold them responsible then. Like, that's the thing. Is he was so worried about making sure that they were protected and that mm-hmm. his college image is protected, that he's not worried God about God forbid the young white men get in trouble. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. So then now we have the last death that I have for Delta Kappa Epsilon, which is, so, no, I think it's Nolte. It's N-O-L-T-E. Yeah. So it's Nolte McElroy. Uh, an Irish, yes. an Irish student. So in 1928 at the University of Austin, Texas, is where this takes place, and he is 19 years old. 
So he is forced to crawl through two metal bed springs that had been connected to city lights. So they're charged metal bed springs that he's forced to crawl through. Who has the time to do this? Mm -hmm. Jesus. Go read a book. His pajamas are wet, so when he goes and he, like, accidentally brushes against something, he receives a fatal electric shock, and he faints, and then he dies 15 minutes later. Oh, my God. So he dies during a pledge ceremony, which I don't know why the hell this is a... What the fuck? Who thought this up? They had nothing to do in the, the 1920s, fucking, I guess. Was fucking Nikola Tesla, like, one of the Pledge brothers? He like, might I'm confused. Um, so, his death is actually ruled accidental, and the school states this. So, the dean of the school, Dean Moore, says, It simply was a terrible accident that could not have been foreseen. This is an attempt to save face, because already, before this, they the school had had trouble controlling fraternities, and they had gotten in trouble before. See, if it gets to that point, then just eliminate it. Just take just it out. Just don't have it anymore if it's going to cause that much trouble. Just eat that shit. You don't need it. No. So this is a, this is going to set the pattern. So this is in 1928. Mm-hmm. You're, in 1905, you're getting people trying to save face. And this happens to this day in oh, yeah. 2019. So this is, a, this is going to be a pattern that we're going to continue down. So we're going to move on now. This is a different... I'm going to name all the different... These are all different fraternities. Okay. So, but they're kind of going in alphabetical, not alphabetical, like chronological yeah. order. So, we're going to go to 1945 at St. Louis University, 20-year-old Robert Derry. Robert Perry? Robert Derry. I think it's Robert Derry, I think. I can't remember my own goddamn handwriting. Okay. <laughs> so, he was pledging Phi Beta Phi. Mm-hmm. P-H-I. Phi? I don't know. Phi 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 Mitches. <laughs> that's so, the name of the fraternity. That's what it is. So he's led blindfolded on his hands and knees onto a table where they pour lamp black, which is essentially like, they used to use it to shine boots and it's extremely flammable. No. They pour that on his chest. Okay. And an Reasonable. induction coil or an electrode is attached to his skin. Reasonable. And the spark causes him to catch on fire. Hell no. So he, this is like so fucking like chilling to me. So he immediately gets up and he starts to run around the room until he's knocked down by his members who are desperately trying to put him out. But he literally is burning to death because he's covered in fucking flammable And these are liquid. human beings doing this to yeah. each other. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, let's put flammable polish on your chest and then tape all this stuff. Like, I, yeah. I can't. So, his attempts are essentially useless to put him out because he ends up dying. So, when the members, <laughs> they go for a disciplinary hearing. Oh, a disciplinary hearing way. after setting your friend on fire. This is what the judge recommends to them, Gina. That they not use inflammable materials in ceremonies. That's what she recommends to them. Or they, he. I was like, there was a female judge no, in the 40s. So. He, I think it's he. If it was a woman, that wouldn't have been the case. Let me tell you that right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. So that's her only recommendation, and they get off basically scot-free. So they this is called a regrettable incident by university officials, and... <laughs> See, this shit makes me want to hate fraternities. Yeah. Re- like, this is the shit that makes me want to just ban them, because mm-hmm. it's like... I mean, I know this stuff happens with, like, regular college students, too, but it's, like, it's in these societies and in these groups to yeah. fucking get in with. Because you have so much groupthink going on that nobody knows how to really 
separate themselves from that and you're in such a frenzy at this mm-hmm. point that it's just like, oh, fuck, I don't know what to do, and you just let shit happen. Yeah. So or you're like, if I go against the grain, then they're going to come at me too, mm-hmm. so might as well just go with it. Mm-hmm. So the faculty is unable, they were like, they was reading this article, and they say they're unable to say if they would intervene in the future unless they, unless the boys did something not in good morals or good taste. Like killing your friend by like setting them on fire. your fucking friend on fire. Okay. I know if I did that to you, I wouldn't get by with a warning. I don't think so. Because it would fucking haunt you from the grave. I know. So, <laughs> I know. So now we're moving on to Richard Swanson. All I'm, of these are bad. I'm sorry to laugh, but this is it's fucking a little bit funny. So, 1959, University of Southern California, Kappa Sigma. Mm-hmm. The ritual they have this boy do is that he dies choking on a slab of raw liver covered in oil that they're using in this initiation ceremony. They're having them swallow raw liver covered in oil. <laughs> now, Gina, they're like, so they're, his friend, he's like fucking choking to death. His friends are trying to basically slap his back. They're stubbing their fingers and they're trying to un- get him, un- like, get the liver out. that's what out. you do, yeah. And they turn him upside down. Did the Heimlich, wasn't that not a thing at this point? No, they were a little dumb, obviously. Yeah. So... They're turning him upside down, but he still fucking dies. This is not funny. I'm just laughing because I'm just like, in sh- it's like it's shocking. Shock that it's like almost like who? Who the fuck would think to do this? So his last words were, I'm going to swallow this liver if it's the last thing I do. Even, what was his name again? Um, Robert Swanson. Swanson, you know what? You did what you had to do. You died doing what you loved doing. Swallowing liver? Yeah. They liked liver in the 1960s. They were fucking nasty, you know? This kid, he was meant to be in a fraternity because he was like, listen, I'm doing this and I don't care what happens. I mean, honestly, this is me, like, telling myself that I'm going to eat one more bowl of Me finishing my burrito an hour ago. (laughs) I'm going to finish this whole Chipotle burrito if it's It's the the last last thing thing I I do. do. Okay, so Gina, but if I had to choose one way to fucking die, it would be this. So, James Lanahan, in 1984, he goes to American International College, and he's 19 years old. He's pledging Zeta Child. Zeta Chi? Whatever. It's not child. Chang. I can assure you that. It's a Zeta Child. <laughs> Zeta Reticuli. Yep. So, he participates in something called a spaghetti ritual, which is essentially me when I go to Italy. I was like, spaghetti your ritual. father making spaghetti bolognese so, honestly, in the morning. My, so, quick story. Quick side story. One time, my very Italian father made me sit up all night watching. My dad, before we left for Italy, he was like, listen, I'm going to be cooking the spaghetti bolognese sauce because I want this to be my last meal in Italy. So essentially, my dad was like, you have to sit up at night and you have to stir the sauce for me. So I stayed up all night at 12 years old stirring my dad's spaghetti bolognese sauce. That's my favorite story of your father. (laughs) My dad was like, I really need this sauce, so I need you to take one for the Her family is from Italy, so they were in Italy making mm-hmm. this bolognese, and I'm just imagining your father crying while eating his spaghetti bolognese on honestly, the airplane. Yeah. yeah, honestly, a little bit. That's a little bit what happened. We were oh, leaving yeah. a little bit later, so he was like, I'm going to have this for lunch, and then we're going to leave for the airport. And I was like, perfect. Thank you so much. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I am small. I'm tired. I'm small and tired. So anyway, th- thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Beautiful. About spaghetti, this is the spaghetti, spaghetti bolognese, bolognese challenge, is staying up to stir it before you leave from Italy. <laughs> Stayed up to stir. 
So basically the boys are forced to eat spaghetti and drink wine until they make themselves throw up. And then they make themselves puke. That sounds puke. like an amazing challenge. <laughs> what the fuck? So they make themselves throw up and then they continue to, to eat, basically. So at some point during this ritual, it says he loses control of his bowels. Oh no. Yeah. So his friends put him in the fucking tub. And they don't realize that he has alcohol poisoning because he drank a gallon of wine in 45 minutes. Honey. So his blood alcohol level was 0.45, which is four times the limit. So they just let their friend in the tub, like, to shit themselves? Yes. Wasn't this, like, when we talked about the medieval stuff? It was, like, putting someone in a tub to, like, shit themselves? You would get... There's a great episode of last... Not last podcast. uh, There's a great episode of Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell in season four Mm -hmm. where it's called Milk and Honey, where it's, like, you feed someone milk and honey until they just, like, basically shit themselves themselves to death. So literally... That's a little bit like what happened. So his death inspires a law in Massachusetts that outlawed all hazing. And it was signed Good. in November of 1985. Someone's got to do it. I guess. So his parents are actually awarded money in a lawsuit. They didn't say how much they got, but they were awarded money. So none of his frat brothers are taken to trial for this. Makes sense. Why yeah. would they be? Yeah. So now we're going to go back in time a little bit, but those are like the two food-related deaths where I was like, mm. if this is how I was going to go, it would be like this. This next death takes place in 1967 at Baylor University Baylor, my stepsister, goes there. Oh, shit. Okay. So this is the death of John E. Clifton, and he was 19 years old. And he di- he dies after being forced to drink a mixture of laxatives and garlic. Which, you know, how dare you disrespect Olive Garden like this? Uh, uh, laxatives and what? Laxatives and garlic. Oh, I thought you said laxatives in Olive Garden. I was like, they took them to Olive Garden. Okay, but the thing it didn't is, even exist. The thing and is, they were like, here? If that's not... Olive Garden in itself is a laxative, so you don't even need that extra. Olive Garden itself is a mixture of Danielle and I are going to Olive Garden tomorrow and then going to see it. It. I haven't seen it, the new it yet, but she's seen it, so I'm just going to be sitting in that theater Mm -hmm. munching on Olive Garden. Laxatives and some some breadsticks. It's going to be a good time. That's going to be the scariest part of the whole movie. Um, My my bowels are going to be the scariest part of that movie. Yep. Yep. So. This is not even an initiation for a, this is not even an initiation for a freaking fraternity. It's an initiation for the Baylor Chamber of Commerce Club. Who, uh, I'm, I'm, sorry. Yep. yep. And so, <laughs> this is not funny, but this, this is what the fucking guy. It's, it's for the, it's not laughing at what happened, but it's for the Chamber of Con. Okay. Commerce. Like, but this is even more, this is worse because reportedly he drowned in his own juices. That's what he was reported. If y'all could see my face right now, it's very... Okay, so he reportedly drowned in his own juices, which is, like, gonna be me later after this Chipotle. And so, he is... I think, essentially, what happened is that he was choked. Like, he choked to death. Like, drinking this down. Yeah. And so, he... Yeah, I think he just choked. And so, he... His death is ruled an accident, and the college president states that he didn't define this as an act of hazing. I'm a... I'm just gonna be the SpongeBob meme where he's like, "I'ma head out." Um, wait, bitch, I'm through. Him like slipping, bitch, I'm through. That and then when he's just in the chair, and it's like, "I, I'ma head out." That's me during this whole podcast episode. Yeah. yeah, you know a little bit. So okay, so those are a bunch of basically white boys, mm-hmm. is what I got into there. And then I wanted to talk about some guys of color because I think that's never really talked right. about when it comes to fraternity culture. We never talk about we're like, look at all these poor white boys getting killed, blah 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 blah. blah. 
And you never, like, all of the articles that I was searching through, it was, like, five tragic deaths. Like, even the one yeah. in 2017, because I have the one, the one case that I'm going to cover at the end is from 2017. Okay. And there was basically this article on CNN, and it was just, like, four white boys who had been killed in uh, hazing-related accidents. And you never, I've never in all the recent articles come across even one man of color in there, which is, like, right. you know that this also happens to men of color. And so I wanted to kind of just add in all of these different elements to it because, like, this is not something that just happens to white men in fraternities. Yeah. So we're going to start with William Flowers, which is in, this takes place in 1974 at Monmouth College, and he was 19. Oh, Monmouth. That's close. So he was pledging Zeta Beta Tau, and he was forced to dig his own grave on a beach. So they would dig in the sand. They were digging in sand. Yeah. Okay, so they're forced to dig six-foot graves in the sand, and then they would make them lay in the grave and be covered. And unfortunately, his grave collapses, and he asphyxiates when the sand gets in his lungs. Oh, my God. So the boys are trying to pull him out by his feet and trying to pull him out, but it's basically like a sand trap, and he can't get out, so he ends up dying. Right. So he was a chemistry major, and he was the first black pledge of this chapter of Zeta Beta Tau. And so seven members are charged with manslaughter, but are cleared because the death gets ruled accidental. And they only get suspended for it. Nothing's changed. No, nothing's changed. So this is Michael, the death of Michael Davis. This takes place in 1994. And this takes place at Southeast Missouri State University. And he was 25. Okay. And so he was pledging Kappa Alpha Phi. And so he takes part in a pledge ritual where they essentially beat him with paddles and they're beating him with paddles and just bare fists and bare feet and whatever jesus and so they're beating them and so the next morning or he collapses Mm -hmm. after this ritual and he is found dead the next morning from his injuries which include fractured ribs he has injuries to his lungs his liver and kidney damage he has a bruised and bleeding heart his he has spinal hemorrhaging and several brain contusions as well as internal bleeding. So this is his second attempt to pledge to this fraternity. Mm-hmm. But he was stopped the first time because a pledge fainted after getting beaten, and so they had to stop the whole pledging process that, that season. That should be your first clue to, like, wise the fuck up and maybe not almost kill people, mm-hmm. and then actually kill people. Yeah. So seven members are prosecuted for involuntary manslaughter, and in 1996, his parents are awarded $25 million from the fraternity. Good. I mean, not good. I mean, they don't have their son anymore. But yeah. They I'm at least saying, deserve yeah. something. So I want to talk about this in particular is because a lot of men of color are very poorly represented in terms of these deaths and all that, like I was saying before. But I think the representation is important here because... A lot of men of color who die in what I was seeing, basically the pattern is a lot of men of color, when they are killed in fraternities, it's very violent. So mm-hmm. white men are killed, you know, alcohol poisoning, choking, accidents, yeah. choking, like all of that. And a lot of men of color, especially, are getting killed in beating accidents, in all these sort of like very, very mm-hmm. physically violent ways yeah. of dying, essentially. So I thought that was, like, really interesting because the more articles and stuff I was looking at in the database and everything, there's less information 
on their desk and all the details, right. whereas you have a whole lot of fucking details for all these white boys. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of details in the database I was looking at for what happened, like, what happened to every single man of color on there was just, like, like, everything yeah. is, like, five they sentences. They were beaten, but that's it. They were beaten. It said, like, it said, like, physical assault. That's it. And so... I thought it was really interesting because it's like you have paragraphs and articles and things about these little white boys who die, but then it's not the same. Right. And it's like, it's not like, you know, those, the other guys who die, like, that's not as sad, but at the same time, like, that's also being represented and mm-hmm. you're getting court cases yeah. and you're like all this, and it's like, you don't hear about this other stuff that's no. happening. No. So I wanted to cover that one because I thought it was really important. And so now I'm going to move on to 2013, which is the death of Chun Michael and he was 18 years old and he went to Baruch College. So he was pledging Pi Delta Psi, which is a largely Asian American uh, fraternity. Okay. So, which uh, the fraternity Kappa Alpha Phi that Michael Davis is a part of when he gets killed, like they're a largely African American male fraternity. Okay. Okay. So he takes part in this ritual called the glass ceiling, and he is blindfolded, and he's forced to carry a 20-pound backpack filled with sand. Mm-hmm. And so they had rented this cabin in the Poconos Mountains. Okay? okay. So they're going up there for this ritual. And so he's forced to basically run through this frozen yard, and his body, is he's being body slammed by 20 and 30 men. So at some point he falls and he receives a brain injury of some kind and he like they're they're body slamming the shit out of this kid okay and so he ends up receiving a brain injury of some kind and instead of calling the police right they there are 37 men here okay instead of calling the police they went and they searched online for how to revive him instead of just use google yeah why try to save your friend from death yeah you know and the thing that's important to remember, like, for everybody, you get medical amnesty. So if your friend dies or is dying in you a drug overdose, you need to call the ambulance because then they the can't. Ambulance. They're yeah. not going to prosecute you. Like, your friend's life is more important yeah. than anything else. So they waited two hours to call 911, but it's too late at that point. And so all 37 of them are charged with aggravated assault. Good. And four get sentenced... But the harshest sentences so far is 24 months in jail. Yeah. For killing someone. Yeah. For yep. basically, essentially, just body slamming someone Sounds to like death. the American justice system yeah, in usual. a nutshell. Yeah. So, the last death we're going to talk about is the death of Timothy Piazza. And so, he was 19 and he went to Penn State, which mm. they already got a whole lot of fucking drama. Oh, yeah. This just adds on to it. Uh, of the graduate, Brian Buell. <sighs> The most drama that Penn State, obviously, Gina, is that Ryan Buell <laughs> is in right. fucking prison from Barrow State. Did he get out or is he still there? I mean, Ryan, if you're out, please Ryan, give us a shout out. Please give me a shout out. Come, come on the podcast. podcast. I still love you, Ryan. I still love you so much. I have every season of your show on DVD. I love you so much. Me and Danielle will be like, oh, here's all these new movies. What should we watch? Let's watch season two of Paranormal State for the 50th time. Every single fucking time. And this is Paranormal State. Anyways, continue. Okay, so this is the last one I'm going to talk about. And so he was pledging, Timothy Piazza is pledging Beta Theta Phi. And so he takes part in a ceremony called the Gauntlet. Oh, no. Which essentially you would take a drink of vodka, then beer, then wine. 
And he drinks 18 drinks in an hour Honey. and 22 minutes. No. And he's like a li- he's not little, but he's like skinny. Yeah, so he's, he's like, not like a big he can't handle dude. It. Yeah. So he's also reportedly on antidepressants, which is oh, heightens no, 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 the effects no, 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 of alcohol, and yeah. you can't you're not supposed to mix them. So he had a blood alcohol level of 0. 0.40. Oh my god. Legal limit is 0. 0.08. Yeah. So at some point in the night after doing this ritual, he he ends up in the basement and the security footage is found depicting the following. So Tim is shown repeatedly trying to stand up and get off of the couch. Okay, so he's in the basement. Mm-hmm. They show him trying to get up and off of the couch and he's just like standing up, falling, standing up, falling. Yeah. Like he can't get up. And so he's like stumbling around and he can't manage to really get on his feet. So finally at some point he gets up and he tries to climb up the stairs. So his friends pick him up several times and they put him back on the couch. And so at around 11 p.m. on February 2nd, he's seen falling after trying to climb a few steps and his head hits the iron railing and he sustained several injuries. So his friends find him, they bring him upstairs, and even after a guy suggests they need to call 911, they still shut him down and they don't. They just put him upstairs on the couch. Fucking idiots. So at this point, his spleen is ruptured and his skull is swelling and they still don't call an ambulance. And they, I guess they said that reportedly, like, they, you could see, like, a bruise developing on his stomach. But they thought it was a bruise that happened the day before when they were doing another ritual. So they're seeing this happening and everyone's just like, oh, we're going to get in trouble. Right. So they don't end up calling an ambulance until 12 hours later. After so after he fell twelve hours ago, at this point, that's when they call the ambulance, which finally comes at ten forty nine a.m. on February third. He falls at eleven o'clock on February second. Absolutely not. So he dies at the hospital on February fourth of twenty seventeen. So if you think this is a turning point, think again because after Tim is taken, so you would think these guys are shaken up. They're like, right. "Holy shit, we just killed somebody." Yeah, and. After he's taken, they attempt to delete the security footage and start cleaning up and sanitizing the house of evidence. Yeah, that's the human thing to do. Yeah, and they think that they're like, they're like, oh shit, we have to delete the security footage from that night. And they lie to the police and tell them like, oh no, like the cameras are off or something. But, bro, the fucking yeah. FBI is on your ass. So the FBI restores the drive and they find the footage... And the reason they want this deleted is because it shows them hitting and slapping at Tim while he's unconscious and they know he's probably dying or something is at least wrong with him. And the guys try to be like, their lawyer basically try to say that like he was taking the drinks himself and all of this. That doesn't matter. You're surrounded by people who should be helping you. Well, the thing is he wasn't taking the drinks himself. No, I know, but I'm saying like regardless, like that's not an excuse. So they're seen giving him the drinks in the video. And so his death initially is ruled an accident, which means that nobody's going to get prosecuted. Mm-hmm. And then, essentially, this a grand jury turns around and is like, this death is a result of the recklessness of others. So, yeah. no, it's not just an accident. And so they overturned that verdict of, like, it being an accident. So the grand jury basically accuses Penn State of turning a blind eye to drinking and hazing because the house had been turned into a dry house, meaning no alcohol, in 2009 due to a hazing incident where a guy, he, like, I think he also, like, fell downstairs or something. He got a major, like, head contusion, and they took him to the ER because his head was bleeding all crazy. They took him to the ER, and this 
basically forces them to become a dry house. You think he would learn your fucking lesson from yeah, that, but you know? I guess not. So twenty or twelve members are charged and twenty-five can possibly face charges. And eight of them are actually charged with involuntary 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 manslaughter. And so some of them are actually just giving in and pleading guilty. Mm-hmm. And at the most, they're receiving probation and fines. Okay? <sighs> so this is still, I think it's still going on. Like, some of them are still in court proceedings. But for the most part, there's a lot of, like, oh, they're only going to get probation and yeah. this and then fines and blah, blah, blah. Which you can't, the, like, the hard thing with this is that all these cases is, like, it's hard to say that they definitively killed somebody. But you were involved in somebody dying. Yeah. So it's like, it can't just be a slap on the wrist. Right, which is and what there most needs to be consequences get. for it. Because otherwise no one cares. Mm-hmm. And like his poor, his poor fucking parents. Like, his, that's the case I was talking about. I can't even imagine. His parents were talking about how, you know, she took her two boys to university in the fall and right. only one comes back. And so, that was them that I was talking about. But his parents are like fighting this like really hard and they're trying to get a law passed for him like it's a hazing law and like all of this stuff and his parents are just really on top of it like I gotta give it to him like they're super super on top of it and involved and yeah it's just sad dude don't don't don't, don't go do to the that. fraternity guys my dad was in a fraternity and he'll like tell me stories about like it I mean it wasn't hazing to that point but some of it I was like you people did did anyone use their brain no. at all no okay no. moving on I guess, I guess we'll, we'll, that, that's just, it makes me so sad. It makes, it makes me question humanity, honestly. Yeah, a little bit. It was pretty, pretty sucky to read. Oh, I yeah. think it's important. Yes, well, if that was sucky, it's just gonna get even more sucky with us questioning humanity, mm-hmm. because I decided to do faulty funeral homes. Oh, God. Who like to... Is this the House of Dead Babies? Take advantage of you. No, I didn't oh. do that one. <laughs> but if you want to hear about the House of Dead Babies, um... Listen to go watch uh, Caitlin uh, Doherty Dotry. I I can never pronounce her last name, but she um, is a mortician, oh, and yeah. she has a channel called uh, Ask a Mortician. Ask a Mortician. I couldn't even like think of it, but yeah, she's um, she's awesome. She answers so many questions about death. She's very death positive, and she does because since she's actually a mortician and runs a funeral home, she does a lot of videos on funeral homes taking advantage of people and all these horrible things that have happened so i tried to find a few that she hasn't talked about um but go watch her because she has if you're into like death and like we are Mm -hmm. go watch her videos because she is way more informative than i will be and it's actually like a professional and you know has researched this because it's her job but before i get it's her job but before i get into the faulty funeral homes i just wanted to first talk about um, how they are exhuming John Dillinger's body, because I know we, we mentioned it in another episode, but things have progressed since then. Um, so basically, John Dillinger, the gangster from the 30s who killed, like, 10 people and was robbing Mm -hmm. people and Mm -hmm. just on a little spree, um, his family wants to have his body exhumed from Crown Hill Cemetery in Indianapolis because... They're speculating that he wasn't actually killed by the FBI, that another guy was killed by the FBI. He was and they, killed by aliens. He was killed by aliens, and his body isn't actually buried there. It's a doppelganger that they buried. Oh, and yeah. he wasn't he actually killed by the FBI. I was like, you know. So this is from um, 
the Daily Mail website by Associated Press and Jerry Barmish. So basically, the Indiana State Department of Health said it received the latest application Tuesday, um, but so the Chicago Sun-Times hasn't received it yet. Mm-hmm. But basically, Dillinger's family just applied to exhume his remains in July as part of a planned History Channel documentary. So oh, that's wow. what it was for okay. at first. The deadline to exhume and return the remains was September 16th, and the exhumation did not occur. So it hasn't happened yet. Um, the History Channel last week dropped out of the planned documentary on Dillinger that would have included the exhumation. Um, but family members said they have evidence Dillinger's body may not be buried in Crown Hill Cemetery. So they said it would be once and for all to put the rumors to bed that Dillinger's double is buried in the grave. Speculation also persists that Dillinger didn't get killed outside the Biograph Theater mm-hmm. in Chicago, but that it was a doppelganger who took the bullets. So they think he wasn't actually killed in the alley of the Biograph. It was a different person. But I was like, how do you... There's literally a picture of people... will post pictures after too but mm-hmm. like people literally looking at his body after and like how do you mix up when did he die you know um 1934 um but he died in the 30s so however biographer bill helmer told the sun times that it's basically like it that's a bunch of hooey mm-hmm. it's not true a bunch of hooey what that's exactly that? what he said he did not say it was a bunch of hooey but he said theories that the vault at crown hill cemetery in indianapolis contains a dillinger doppelganger are totally nonsense mm-hmm. even the fbi attempted to clear the air as they confirm agents did indeed kill dillinger in 1934 mm-hmm. so yeah 1934 cemetery officials objected to the exhumation saying it would be disruptive but Dillinger's nephew, Michael C. Thompson, sued the cemetery last month, seeking a court order to gain access to the grave. Mm-hmm. Like, you really want to see these remains that bad? You can't just let this man rest. Tony Stort, a nephew of legendary Tony criminal by Tony Stort, criminal by Mary, said he's certain once Dillinger is exhumed, DNA tests would prove it's really him and finally end the conspiracy theories. So it's basically these, these that theories much? that, like, oh, it's not, it's a doppelganger yeah. and it was messed up by the FBI and he's not really buried there. Apparently, over the years, people have bothered the family about it, and it's like, oh, they just want to know and put the theories to rest, yada yada. So, authors have been questioning who's buried in Dillinger's vault for decades, starting in 1970 with Dillinger, Dead or Alive, and the follow-up, The Dillinger Dossier, by J. Robert Nash and Ron Offen. They laid out pieces of evidence, including fingerprints and blood type, that were not a match for Dillinger. Oh, dear God. So, it's just this whole thing fucking going on with this poor... Man's body. Rest in peace, y'all. And I'm just like, you know. Anyways, I just wanted to bring that up because I thought it was interesting. And I would also like to know if um, they buried a doppelganger instead of John Dillinger. But it's like, why? Why would you? Why would you do that? We need to put these conspiracies to rest. It's like you're the only one who matters. Why do you care? Right. Right. Well, anyways, um, back. Speaking of dead bodies, Mm -hmm. we're gonna go back to the funeral home stuff. And the first one I want to talk about is. I think it's pronounced the Worcester Funeral Home. It's Worcester, W-R-C-E-S-T-E-R. I'm say the Worcester Funeral Home. And the title, and this is from CBS Boston by uh, Jim Smith. And it says, Worcester Funeral Home Director Investigated for Keeping Unclaimed Bodies in the Basement. No. So basically, a funeral no, home director... Okay. Funeral home director is being investigated for keeping unclaimed bodies. Um, Peter Steffen... So, basically, he handled arrangements for, like, the poor and homeless and worked with people who didn't have a lot of money and was like, I'll help you, which is, you know, a nice thought, but you got to keep 
the bodies from decomposing in mm-hmm. your basement. And it says, unfortunately, nine bodies were found in various states of decomposition in the basement. Um, a Worcester funeral home director says he had only good intentions, but now he's being investigated by the state after unclaimed decomposing bodies filled his basement. Jesus filled. Christ. So late this summer, Stefan had a big problem. Nine bodies were found. He says delays implementation of a new state cremation law left his hand tied. Mm-hmm. Left his hands tied. So he was saying he couldn't cremate them for some reason, which I don't think I don't is a thing. You can give um and Caitlin talks about this on her channel too, like Legally, you can give the family back their bodies. Yeah. If you don't have the money to do this, then you need to contact the family and be yeah, like, "Hey, yeah, you can't just we keep have body. you can't just like keep their body and be like, oh, hey, sorry, I don't know what to do. My hands are you tied.' You can't withhold a body. No, them. you can't. And it says, "Well, we had them in a room that was air conditioned. I also separated, had a separate cooler, but again, treating people topically was all you could do." Stefan said, "The law says you could do embalming if there's any way you can do it." But we had some people that had been gone for seven and eight and six months. You don't keep the bodies in your basement. Or, you know what? You don't do that. If you care that much, just bury them for that person. Like, just put them, like, give them a small break. Or tell them, just be honest and tell the family and be like, hey, you you know, I'm trying to help. I can't pay you, but I don't want to keep these bodies decomposing in my basement. So he says the bodies were too decomposed to embalm. And some neighbors apparently complained about a smell, and the city of Worcester issued a national nuisance order. So, funny for you, a national nuisance get out order. of here. So the bodies have now been cremated, and Stefan is even building an outdoor refrigeration unit to avoid future problems. He is building an outdoor refrigerator. Oh lord! But just an ending thing for that. It says Stefan has a history of accepting bodies no one else would take. Which is like you know nice, but yeah, you need to do something with it, then, honey. You can't just let them sit there. You can't just take in all these bodies and pull a Carl Chandler and just dress them up and have them in your basement like that. So it's like yeah. it's one of those where I think he's this nice older guy who's trying to help and then got overwhelmed and was like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. I'm just gonna get the bodies in the basement because I don't know where else to put them. And that's oh, how he sounds, okay. even though he's from like the east. I did a southern always, accent for that. He's like always very. Um, but the next one we have is an AP News article, and this is by Glenn Smith and... Where's this? It's by Glenn Coco. It's by Glenn Smith and Mary Catherine Wildman. Um, So this takes place in Charleston, South Carolina. Now I can do my southern accent. So basically, in 2015, a funeral was held for Mary Alice Pitts, um, and her family basically, like, they didn't have a lot of money. Like, they scraped together money. Um, for a proper funeral, you know, it was like a whole thing, like a bunch of people showed up, they thought she was buried, they're like, okay, like she's in a better place, it's fine. So in February, three years later, after Moore's death, her badly decomposed body was found stashed in a locked, unrefrigerated storage room at Spartanburg Funeral Home that her family had hired for to handle Mm -hmm. the arrangements. The family paid to have her cremated. Instead, her body was left to rot, draped in blankets, and surrounded by air fresheners to mask the smell. And the count that Bro, this is what the county toss coroner her told in them. The damn oven. Come on, come on. You just can't eat. Oh my god, Don't poor lady. Like, can you just imagine? You're thinking this person's at rest. Yeah, and, and then, then can just... you imagine like having your like you have this funeral for your mom, and then she's just held in a basement surrounded by some Febreze? Why didn't they ask for the ashes? I don't. 
Well, that's, I think it might have been maybe they couldn't afford them oh, or something. Okay. I don't, I mean, I don't know how it works, mm-hmm. but I, something, I think something must have happened with money where, oh, yeah. like, they couldn't, they couldn't afford the urn. Yeah. So, first family funeral home's license is now under suspension, and a criminal investigation is underway into its handling of Mora's remains. Yeah. Um, but the case undergoes deeper questions about the state system for monitoring the nearly 500 funeral homes and crematories that operate in South Carolina. Jesus. So, it's, you know, it's this whole thing now that's like now everyone's being investigated. So, two state inspectors are tasked with inspecting hundreds of facilities, and it can take five months or longer to complete investigations um, into even, like, routine complaints. So, the funeral board won't even confirm it's looking into First Family, though a spokeswoman acknowledged that a December inspection failed to spot Moore's body on the premises. So, they were investigating, and they couldn't find this. You're doing an investigation. And they didn't find this woman's body surrounded by some of, like, the the little Febreze and lock things that are just, like, surrounding. I don't know if that's what it was, but I'm assuming. use your eyes. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. So, another one is, um, the customers also allege that a co-owner, Lawrence Meadows, personally handled their arrangements after being banned from working as a funeral director. Okay. So this guy was banned, and then is like, let me take care of your body. Please, please, if you're handling a funeral for a loved one, make sure the person working there isn't banned for life from being a funeral director. Well, the thing is, you're so vulnerable... In yeah. That moment that you're and I'm not victim blaming blaming funeral these poor people who lost no. their family members and it's this happened, a, but it's just so like mind boggling to me, just like to even, oh, there's so much planning and like laws and things that go into running a funeral home yeah. and being a funeral director. I personally can never do it, and I commend the people who do does, that yeah. because I just can't imagine. But at the same time, like, you got to make sure it's running smoothly and that you're not keeping bodies in no South Carolina basement. Mm -hmm. Um, So this person even appeared on NBC's Today in February 2017 in a segment hosted by his brother, anchor Craig Melvin. Meadows discussed his fight against colon cancer while showing off his funeral office in a casket display. Melvin noticed that a few people are as close to death every day as Lawrence Meadows. Moore's decaying body had been lying around First Family for nearly two years mm. at that point. So he, as he's showing off his funeral home, this lady's body is decaying in the basement. Okay. So there was, like, this whole thing going on with that, and obviously, like, her son was like, I never thought something like this could happen to her mm. or to anybody. So a few other things that I'm going to mention that have happened, um, that have happened to other mm-hmm. funeral homes. In Lexington, a funeral director stuffed the organs from one corpse into the body bag of another after cremating the first body without all of its parts intact. In Conway, a funeral director held the ashes of a dead person hostage until the family paid their bill in full in violation of the state law. That's against the law. You cannot hold someone's body. Can't do it. Sorry. In Greenville, an undertaker walked off with tens of thousands of dollars deposited for future funerals. And in Lexington again, a mortician embalmed the body of an organ donor before her bone and tissue could be harvested. So that, you know, those were all going on. Mm -hmm. Both of those in Lexington, too. What's going on in Lexington over there? And these are the last ones I ran into read. Um, This isn't one story. Um, This... This is eight horrific funeral home mishaps, and I thought these were just 
disgusting. And this is by Michelle Nati of Strange Stories. So this is called The Mortuary That Cremated the Wrong Body for a Politician's Funeral. Um, the wrong body was cremated for a politician's funeral after a mix-up over the spelling of his name. Conservative MEP Philip Bradbourne's surname was incorrectly spelled on his medical records. Unfortunately, the mistake was not picked up while he was being treated for bowel cancer at Good Hope <gasps> Hospital in Sutton Coldfield. The unchecked error contributed to the wrong body being released in his January 16, 2015 funeral, with the remains of the similarly named Philip Bradburn cremated instead. On February 23, 2015, a second funeral and cremation was held at Brashbury Crematorium in Wolverhampton with Mr. Bradbourne's body. Bradbourne was also a former Wolverhampton City Council leader. He died in 2014 at the age of 63. Jeez. They cremated the wrong body. Imagine you're expecting those spicy ashes of JFK. A spicy ashes. If, if I get cremated, I want you to mix my ashes with like... Sriracha? With sriracha as well as the Pickles verde peppers. Tabasco sauce from Chipotle. Oh, perfect. That's what I want. You're expecting that you are expecting a nice JFK spicy ashes that smell like Chanel number no. five, and instead you get some crusty ass Lyndon B. Johnson one instead. I'm done. <laughs> so this one's called the funeral home that buried the deceased the day before the wake. Oops. They were like, bye. Um so in early November 2015, Monique Williams, the daughter of 74-year-old Ella Mae Rutledge, arrived at Leak and Sons Funeral Home in the Chatham neighborhood, oh, this is in Chicago, of Chicago for a last-minute inspection of her mother's body before the wake. Mm -hmm. She quickly noticed the complexion and nails of the body were different than that of her mother. Williams pulled her mom's wig back to confirm her suspicions. Her mother had white hair, unlike the dark-haired woman in the casket. Can you imagine pulling your mom's wig off in the casket because you got to check if it's the right woman in there? We said, this doesn't look nothing like Mama. We knew she would look different, but she can't look this different. Yeah. Spencer you know Leak what Senior. her mother looks yeah. like. Spencer Leak Sr., owner of Leak and Sons Funeral Home, said an employee mistakenly switched tags with Rutledge and the other body. Adding to the confusion, the daughter of the other woman had identified Rutledge as her mother. In the confusion, Rutledge's body was buried a day earlier and oh. had since been exhumed and returned to the funeral home. Oh. So they buried this woman's mother and then had to dig her back up and be like, oh, sorry, let's do this the right way now. Um, another woman... Like damn ghost I just... I, I'm saying another woman was cremated against her family wishes... These pallbearers dropped this coffin of a deceased man and then ran away. So it says oh Debbie God. Swales, 47, screamed and collapsed as pallbearers carrying her devoted husband, Gavin, let him slip from their grasp. Is this, have you ever seen the video of the pallbearers and they're dancing? Oh, and they <laughs> drop the casket? If you if you do that when I die, I'm gonna be so fucking mad. <laughs> my dad, who never laughs, my Italian immigrant father, who never laughs, was just like sobbing. At the <laughs> you showed it to him. No, we were watching ridiculous. Oh. and it was on there, and legit, my dad's just like sobbing for this video. Oh my god! But basically, it says as if dropping Gavin's coffin wasn't bad enough, they allegedly ran off, leaving the coffin on the ground and smashed open at the ceremony, attended oh, by hundreds of mourners. God. In West Cemetery, Newcastle. Oh, my. Swale's oldest son helped 
to pick up the body of their loving dad of eight while shocked family members looked on in horror. Oh Can you imagine having God. to, like, yeet your dad up off the ground? After I can't even imagine. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Um, the cemetery workers who dumped a woman's body in the wrong grave, basically. Um, yeah, into a stranger's grave and stole her casket. And this was in 2013. This isn't, like, 1805. This uh, is fucking 2013. This wasn't, like, when Edgar Allan Poe got just no, no, dropped. No. In June 2013, it was discovered that workers at a Catholic cemetery dumped oh, the body of, of a would-be nun in a stranger's grave before swiping her metal casket more than two decades later. The family of Juanita Scarfia have alleged their sibling was mistakenly disinterred in 1989 by careless employees who then stole her casket. So relatives spent the next 23 years Jeez. unwittingly visiting this empty plot in St. Mary's Cemetery in Staten Island beneath a gravestone bearing Juanita's names and the words in God's care. The discovering of Juanita's missing remains left scattered beneath the dirt of a nearby grave was the last cruel twist for a family dogged by the tragedy of her death. In 1970, Juanita left the convent after falling in love with a priest. The 20-year-old then decided oh. to follow her father into the military. However, she received a card from the priest declaring he was committed to the church. The distraught young woman shot herself in the head and died on November 5, 1970. Jeez. That, and, like, just after that being so sad... And then, like, having that happen. Um, and the last one I'm going to read is the funeral home that put the wrong body on display. Nivina Cargill's family said they were traumatized by an Ohio funeral home that lost her body and put the wrong corpse on display. Were they just, like, any old a corpse would they do were like, slapped her in there? They are like, you know what, let's put a wig on it. Um, so this woman died from cardiac arrest on June 21st, mm -hmm. 2015. And when the family members arrived at the funeral home for a private viewing... Before the service, they were horrified to see another woman's body in the casket. Jesus it took the staff about five hours to find her body and prepare it for viewing. Where did they put it? Where did she go? How did you lose they it? Did they eat her into the sun? They were like, like what happened? Somebody stole her in the night? Like, what happened? Oh, my God. So those are my disgusting funeral stories. Because it's like, just like the fraternity <laughs> stuff, like, that shit happens. Mm -hmm. Like, early as 2017, 2015, that people... Make sure you go to the a good funeral home that you can trust and is take because there are some shady people out there yeah. who will do anything for money, yeah. and that's the reality. And it's just and they take so fucking of sad. People who and if I've learned anything in the past month, it's that literally these people death is a big business. Okay, mm -hmm. and these people really, and in a sense they have to, but. You're very easily taken advantage mm -hmm. of because and people can you have you know. spending tens of thousands of yeah. dollars on things that you don't need to spend money on. Like yeah. Caitlin says in her like Ask a Mortician channel, like you don't have to spend all this money to embalm a body if you don't yeah. want to. You don't have to like in funeral homes will try to trick you sometimes and be like, oh well, you need to do this and you need to embalm and you need to use this casket. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Know your rights and know what you have. Like when you have a loved one who is going through that process, yeah. because they take advantage of people who yeah, are mourning do. and who are sad and don't know the mm -hmm. process of it. And then it. you end up having being in a worse situation because you're in debt because you are trying to just bury somebody you love and you're getting taken advantage of. Yeah. And it's not to say, oh, this happens everywhere and everyone's out to get no, you. No, there, there are some people who, like her funeral home, I forgot the name of it, um, but she also does like a very natural funeral home. Yeah. So they do natural burials where it's like, because embalming is, is expensive. 
and, and they die don't, for the and they, they give people the option to do like the regular funerals, yeah. you know, like the classic funerals that you go to, but they also do natural burials. It's very like everything's very organic, mm-hmm. like, and they make it. They want to make it nice for the families and yeah. say, hey, what do you want to do? Because exactly. we want to make you feel comfortable. So there are places that are like that, and will even like help you, or with money or whatever. Yeah. But you just got to make sure you're doing this with the right people mm-hmm. because there are some people who just don't care about you yeah. and will pretend they do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, happy this first was, day of yeah, fall with these. Fall. There's a lot of death and a lot of after-death experiences mm-hmm. that aren't so good. So, basically, moral of these stories is don't. be careful who you're talking to. Be careful yeah. who you're hanging around with mm-hmm. in when you're living and when you're dead. So... You always gotta have two eyes in the back of your head, you know. It's always true. gotta be careful. It's true. Um, and on that note, follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Twitter. Most excellent. Facebook, most excellent. We're on Spotify now. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, basically anything that you can download Google on Play. Google Play, all that stuff. And uh, send us an email of your own spooky, strange stories, hometown murders, whatever. Questions, comments, questions. concerns. Send us emails. We still have not gotten an email, guys. Let's go. Let's speed it up. Just kidding. Oh my God. Our email is mostexcellentpod at gmail. Just send me a nice picture of Romy Malik. No, don't do that. Please do. Or maybe just for Danielle. But, uh, yeah, that's all we have for this week, and we can't wait to do more spooky ghost stories and things about demons and uh witches and it's oh my god i love october mm-hmm. freaking bats freaking bats i love halloween i love halloween and uh stay excellent guys stay spooky mm-hmm. and stay we'll spooky see else. you next week bye, bye.